Well, if you have been with us, then you know that we are in our series titled, He Gets Us, exploring the ways in which Jesus understands what it is that we go through in our own human experience. The first week we explored Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We will continue reading that scripture over and over again because it points us back to the truth and the reality of who Jesus is as our high priest. It reminds us that we are to hold fast to our confession of faith and truth in who Jesus, the Son of God, truly is as our great high priest. And last week we opened up the narratives in Matthew to see how one way in which Jesus understands us, one of those ways in which he sympathizes with our weaknesses. And we explored the topic of anxiety and how Jesus in his own moment of distress as he went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he prayed to the Father that the cup would pass from him. But not his will, but the Lord's, but the Father's be done. We saw how much anxiety was crushing to Jesus, so much so that he even sweat blood. And yet, he still had full faith and trust in God and what God was going to do, how God was going to use Christ. And so today we turn our attention to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Let us read what it is that the gospel writer has for us in seeing Jesus and his humanity and sympathizing with us as our great high priest. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, 
You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you for all that you are doing in our midst. Lord, how you are showing us the depth to which you understand us in our flesh. Jesus, that you are revealing to us that you truly get us. That we don't have to shy away from you, but in every respect, we can approach your throne of grace knowing that you will call. Lord, we thank you. And Jesus, I pray that you would make much of yourself in the hearing of this word today. And you would make very little of the human that stands before you. Be worshipped and glorified for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so as we open today's passage, we're given the clue as to what human condition Jesus experiences that we too, all at one time or another, have also experienced ourselves. The passage opens up with Jesus, who was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And you might be asking yourself, okay, so what is the human experience here that we are talking about? Because it's present not in word, but in context. The context of what we are seeing here is isolation. Isolation defined by the Oxford English Dictionary, is simply a state of being alone, set apart. You see, this is something that I think that I can be, that I am very familiar with, something that we have all probably experienced at one time or another, this sense of isolation. Sometimes isolation is self-inflicted, and other times it is forced upon us. I can first attest to the self-infliction category of isolation. And I do use the word inflicted because isolation we see today, I hope that it is not design, a design of God for us and for our lives. Self-inflicted isolation honestly occurs at times of great pressing and great hardship. In my life, I've experienced this multiple times when I feel like I've been hurt emotionally. Pain has been inflicted upon me. I'm the person that first and foremost wants to withdraw. I want to isolate from people and from the world. I want to be as far away from anyone else possible so that I can sit in my feelings and overthink every single thought I have. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Don't you all just want to join me in this wonderful place of self-inflicted isolation? No, probably not. But I can tell you firsthand from that that it's the worst possible thing that I could be doing in that situation. Isolation is not the right option. 
Think of it from a physical standpoint. What if I was a hiker and I went hiking on this trail, right, and there was nobody with me and I slipped and fell off the trail and broke my leg? Is it better in my physical pain that I remain isolated in that place? Surely not. It's easy to see it when we're talking about physical ailments, but when we talk about the mental and the emotional and the psychological withdrawal that we force upon ourselves, it's harder to understand why being alone is not good for us. It is better that someone be there, that we surround ourselves with people. But the other form of isolation that we experience is the one that is forced upon us. And quite frankly, we all know what forced isolation has looked like. At least for us in the last three years as we have been called to force isolate ourselves from other people and from the world due to a certain virus that has plagued our lives. And at first it seemed really easy. We just isolated as families. We stayed within our homes. We avoided the world, the outside world. But we were at least together as a family unit. But for some of us, There was no family unit. We don't have someone else in our household to be with us. But also further, even within the family unit, even if there were people around us, there were maybe that moment that we became sick ourselves and we had to further isolate from the world by shutting ourselves up in our rooms. Nobody to be with us, nobody to comfort us, nobody to talk to, nobody to touch. We found ourselves isolated and lonely in a way that we never thought we would have to endure. Even today, people are experiencing isolation due to the state of where our world has been the last three years. Health concerns keep them shut in and away from others. So whether you are a self-isolator or have experienced forced isolation, you have an understanding of this human experience. The same experience that we see in our passage today that Jesus himself goes through. But I want to point out that Jesus' isolation is slightly different than the two examples that I've given you because Jesus' isolation was one that was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. It was a God-ordained isolation. And to be quite honest, I can't find anywhere in Scripture where God purposefully ordains that any human individual ends up in isolation. This is an isolation that was reserved for the Son of God. And yet, as we read his story today, we can understand why isolation is not something that God designed for us. And why we, at every turn, must fight against it. In fact, when we think about God's design for man, we can go right back to the beginning, to Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And so I will make him a helper fit for him. From the very beginning, God recognized that man was never supposed to be alone. But in God's design, design man that we would be with one another. 
Specifically speaking, he's speaking to Adam about a wife, but it encompasses all human relationships. That we weren't designed to live in isolation. It's also affirmed again, I think, in the Gospels when Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his self. No, just kidding. For his friends. Jesus assumes that people have surrounded themselves with other people, with with friends. You can't lay your life down for friends if you don't have them. He didn't call people to live in isolation. And so going back to our passage today, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And after experiencing isolation, what did Jesus do? Just a couple verses later. Well, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Even Jesus, after going through this God-ordained experience of isolation, recognized that he could not isolate himself in his ministry and in his human walk. I mean, just think back to last week when we were talking about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he went to pray and was experiencing this deep anxiety come over him. What did he do? He brought three of his disciples with him to pray with him, to be with him. He'd already experienced isolation. He wasn't willing to go through it again, knowing what would come from it. And so, even though Jesus' experience is slightly different in the way that he was forced into isolation, It can give us a clear indication of what happens when we allow ourselves to isolate. Because isolation can become default in many instances. But let us explore what it is that happens in Jesus' isolation in the wilderness. And I think there's just one primary thing for us to look at today. What isolation brings upon ourselves? It brings temptation. It brings temptation in three ways, in three forms. Isolation is going to tempt us. And we have to be willing to push back against it. And so let us see how Jesus was tempted in his isolation. The first is a matter of self-gratification. The temptation to self-gratify. Matthew 4, 2 through 4 says, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. You see, isolation will push you towards self-gratification. That is, I can find satisfaction for myself outside of the will of God. I don't need God in order to bring me satisfaction. I have all that I need to gratify myself. But here's the issue that occurs when we lead toward and lean toward self-gratification. Temptation comes in the form of greed. 
where we start seeking money for money's sake and we want to gain and obtain more and more and more of it. Self-gratification also shows up in lust, forms in which we want to gratify the sexual drive that God instilled within us, the way in which he designed us for what was good, we pervert into something that is evil. We look toward gluttony, toward satisfying the hunger of our stomachs in times of isolation. I'll be honest, you don't have to look at me to know that I have struggled at one point or another with this desire of self-gratification. When I self-isolate, I like sweets. I like good food, right? But that is a self-gratification, a temptation of the flesh. We could also be forced into a place of laziness and apathy, where isolation takes us to a place where we don't want to do anything else. We would rather just sit there, scrolling through social media, if you're of my generation or younger. Maybe your generation likes to scroll through Facebook. I know that was what my grandfather loved to do. Maybe your form of apathy is just trying to isolate yourself from the world by reading a book. I don't know how you experience that one, but in all ways, we all become apathetic towards something. We want to self-gratify outside of the will of God. When God doesn't meet our desires in the manner that we want, we tend to choose to take matters into our own hands. And in isolation, the enemy is going to tempt us away from God's will God's desire, God's place to have our every need met. Another way in which we become tempted in isolation is self-protection. And said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. This is actually a much more complicated verse to understand because I'm pretty sure that none of us are seeking God to catch us if we wanted to hop onto the roof of the sanctuary and try to jump off of it. I don't think any of us has the expectation that God is going to catch us if we jump. But... I think that if we look at the context of the passage when it's concerning Christ, the temptation in question is one of self-protection. That is, is God faithful? Does God provide to protect his own? And so oftentimes when we isolate, we begin to question God. We begin to ask, does God really love me? Is this really a part of God's plan? Is God really faithful for allowing this to happen? Where is God's provision? Can God truly be good? 
I can only speak those things because I've personally experienced them in my own place of withdrawal and isolation. Oftentimes when I isolate myself from the world, from people, from my brothers and sisters in Christ, I begin to question what it is that God is doing. That in my own hurt and pain, I wonder how could God allow something like this to happen to me? How could he allow pain and suffering? How can he allow hurt and deceit? And so I start to self-protect. In fact, Isolation is the way in which I self-protect. It keeps me from being in the presence of people that could hurt me or harm me, that could inflict more pain. I withdraw so they can't disappoint me anymore. You see, that is the work of the enemy to push us into isolation, to force us to question God's goodness while we sit in that place of withdrawal. I actually remember one time during my experience when I had COVID myself and I had to isolate from everybody for seven days. As I was fine. The first day, the second day, no big deal. I was fine just getting through it. Isolation wasn't anything for me to start worrying about. But then... About day three, I started wondering, um, why has nobody checked in on me? Why, why hasn't anyone seen if I need anything? See if they could just drop something off at the door. I started to withdraw, and not just physically, but then I started to withdraw emotionally. I started to ignore texts, ignore phone calls, and I started to question everything about why God would allow me to experience isolation through covid where were the people that wanted to take care of me? Where was God and why wasn't he taking care of me? I began to question God. I began to self-protect. The last form of temptation that we see in this isolation from Jesus is in verses 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. The last form of temptation is self-exaltation. So we've seen how in isolation we can search out self-gratification, we can surf out, search out self-protection, and then finally self-exaltation. We are tempted to worship ourselves over God, to start to think more of ourselves than we think of God. This often takes form in the sin of pride. I can do things better than God can. Let me, let me ask how many times that's worked out for you. It's never worked out for me. But when we do it this way, it's because we start to think, well, I would have done it this way. And God, your way was not the way that I would have done it. I could have done it so much better than you, God. I can't believe you thought that this was going to work. We start to say to ourselves, why would I be a servant when I can be my own master? I can establish my own little kingdom separated from God and do things my way instead of God's way. It's the temptation to self-exalt, to put ourselves in the place where only God is supposed to stand. And it's easy 
This is the, probably the easiest one to fall into. Because ultimately our flesh wants to serve self first. Wants to worship self first. Wants to think ourselves greater than everyone else first. Think of how many times and how easy it is for us to fall into judgment of other people. It's because you think yourself is better. I've done it. I'm certain we have all done it. But I want to look at one prime example in all of Scripture that shows where these temptations come to fruition in isolation. It's a pretty popular passage in Scripture, and not for good reason. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. The very first sin in all of Scripture tested these three temptations that Jesus experienced in the wilderness. In his own time of isolation, Eve found herself alone apart from Adam, and the serpent came and spoke to her and said, Did God really say not to eat this fruit? But in self-gratification, she saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes. And so she take and satisfied her hunger. He also appealed to her need for self-protection. She said that God said, if I eat it, then I will surely die. But he said, you will not die. There is nothing that will keep you from dying if you eat of it. And then he appealed to the ultimate need of self-exaltation. If you eat this fruit, your eyes will be opened like God. You will become like God, knowing good and evil. What a powerful example of how isolation in the grips of it, the enemy will come to do what? Just to kill, steal, and destroy everything that God is trying to do in your life. In isolation, man made the worst decision that ever befell us. Tempted by the serpent and his lies, man fell and sinned. And so the question now becomes, what do we do about this? What do we do about this in times of isolation? Well, let's first look at what it is that Jesus did in response to each temptation that the enemy threw at him. The first comes from Matthew 4.4 when he said, But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
in the midst of the desire to self-gratify, we must hunger more for the word of God than for our own desires of the flesh. We must find within ourselves the hunger to seek him, to desire him, to know him, to hear his voice. We must be a person that is devoted to the reading and studying of scripture and of prayer. We must know above all else that Jesus is our satisfaction. When we know Jesus, then we know what it truly is to be satisfied. And it is in those moments that we will be less prone to self-gratification. But it will be impossible if we are not seeking Jesus at all, who is the only one who can satisfy the need of our heart. In matters of self-protection, Jesus responded to Satan by saying, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Here's the thing that we have to understand when it comes to self-protection, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to following Jesus. And this is a hard one to grasp. I'm still wrestling with it, but it is one that is true and found throughout Scripture. It's this, be prepared to suffer. There is no other way of saying this, but that suffering is literally a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus said it in John 15, 18 through 20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Suffering is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. He said that to follow him meant to pick up your cross daily. And the cross was not simply some small tool used by Rome, but it was meant for suffering and excruciating amounts of pain. But here is the encouragement that comes also from the Lord in Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, as of late, I've been going through my own time of trying, my own time of suffering, and I have suffered much, and isolation has been my heart's desire. But I have resisted, and I have remembered again and again and again, and I have to keep reminding myself that suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, and character, hope. Why? Because God's love is being poured out onto me and there is no height nor depth, 
nor with, nor angels or demons, nor principalities that can ever separate me from the love of God. And so though I suffer much, I know God loves much more. He is my protector, period. I do not need to protect myself. Finally, the matter of self-exaltation. In Matthew 4.10, Jesus responds to Satan, Be gone, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. When we are tempted to exalt ourselves, think of ourselves, and want to desire more for ourselves, let us be reminded that we cannot serve both God and something else. Jesus says we cannot serve both God and mammon. But mammon, I think, is a placeholder for anything that would steal us away from the worship of our creator. In fact, our hearts are always in a posture of wanting to worship something. Oftentimes, we choose creation over creator. But we were really made and designed to worship only one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The one true God. And so in our times of temptation, during isolation, we have to understand that the enemy will come. But again, I said that isolation is not God's design. It's not God's design. And so in addition to understanding the three temptations that come from isolation or that might push us toward isolating more, we also have to remember that Jesus, in his isolation, was in every respect tempted as we are, yet did not sin. Jesus was able to go into isolation and not sin. If we enter into isolation, we are but merely human, and temptation will at some point surely overcome us. And so our only fight cannot be to remember the temptations, but there must be a better option. There must be a better option for us, knowing that we are not like Jesus, that we have sinned and we will sin again, and we will sin again, and we will sin again. But thank God for the redeeming work of Jesus on that cross that no matter how many times I mess up, no matter how many times you mess up, we cannot outsin the grace of God that was given in Christ Jesus. But we also do not want to keep placing ourselves in places, in situations where we have to keep overcoming temptation. And so, we were not made for isolation. Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, the author of Hebrews was encouraging and reminding us that we cannot be like those that want to isolate and withdraw, that want to neglect to meet with one another. In fact, we are encouraged more than anything to meet with each other, to find each other, to lean on each other, to encourage one another and to stir each other up to love and good works. Jesus did it himself. After finding himself into forced isolation, he surrounded himself with his disciples. And we should be willing to do the same. And here's the thing. What I love about the way Jesus did it is he went after them. 
and surrounded himself with people. If there is nobody willing to come around you on their own, then seek them out. Find them and ask them to be around you. Ask them to be with you. Do not be ashamed of wanting to ask somebody to walk with you through the struggles of human life. That is it. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are brothers and sisters. We are called to be around one another. Let us call each other to ourselves. Because if we can't, then who else can we turn to? And I know it is easy, it is so easy to not want to reach out and say to somebody, I am hurting. It is so easy to not want to reach out and tell somebody, hey, I just got this horrible health diagnosis, what do I do about it? I know how easy it can be to not want to tell anybody because we think that we might be burdening them. But I will tell you this, Jesus does not want you to think that you are to be a burden. In fact, we talked about it last week in Galatians. He says that we are to bear one another's burdens. Let us not be put to shame. And so let each of us going forward strive not to isolate. Strive not to withdraw. Let us fight the good fight that when temptation comes, when we're tempted to self-exalt or self-protect or self-gratify, that we will reach out. So that in our time of need, our brothers and sisters will surround us. And that with such a great witness of believers that they would point us to the unshakable foundation that is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that nobody comes to the Father except through you. You have made a way in yourself. And so, God, in the time of need that arises, let us not pursue isolation. And when we are forced into isolation, let us not just stay there, but let us seek one another out. Even if we cannot go to them personally, Lord, technology has made a way. Technology has made a way, God. Let us surround ourselves with those that would surround us and push us toward you. We need that, Lord, in every situation, every day to be built up for the body. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.